I see. So you've made your decision then? Yes. I've decided to accept and become this country's princess royal. It doesn't matter if I'm merely a figurehead, a symbol of the new Azadistan. I feel that if there's something I can do to help, then I have to do it. So please, Rasa. If you do, then I shall have no choice but to take the opposing position. But why would you? Please listen carefully, Princess Marina. Though this nation of ours may be reborn, the people living on its land still have history, their families, and the holy teachings of God. Many of them dislike change, and I dislike it as well. In order to keep those who oppose you from responding with violence, there must be a figure who can take in their feelings and calm their fears. Rasa, has everything I've done till now just been a terrible mistake? Welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that's decided to give Double O a try. My name is Jeremy. I just actually still have the taste of uh, ginger snapped in my mouth, so I can't come up with a good joke. I'm Tyler. I'm still working through my own ginger snapped, uh, and it's a thing. My name is Zach. If you're like, what the fuck are these people talking about? (laughs) The only way you will ever know is by giving us $5 on www.patreon.com slash lastpodcasts. Otherwise, it shall forever remain a mystery. <laughs> Even to us. Who are you? I was going to make, like, sparkling noises, and then I realized I couldn't do that with my mouth. Shing, uh, <laughs> sparkle, sparkle. <laughs> Apologies for not having an episode out last week. It has been much longer for us since we recorded than it's been for you since you heard us, so... Hopefully, we are not too loopy. Tyler did go over in one of the uh, mid-spots as to why we haven't had an episode. I did request that of him. Yeah, no, Jeremy specifically asked me to do that, Uh, so it happened. Oh, so it turns out I was giving you too much credit. Yes. Got it. (laughs) Today, we will be watching Gundam 00, episode 12. Tyler wrote a joke name, so when I went to... (laughs) Oh, wow, I almost never do that either, so... (laughs) Uh, It's... it's, I I think it might just be to infinity. No, No, it's it's not. To the limits of holy teachings. Oh, yep, that's it. Wow, well done. Yeah, I thought I knew it, but I was like, oh, Tyler has it written down. I won't stumble over it if I read it directly off his note. Oh, that's a Toy Story (laughs) joke. (laughs) Thanks, Buzz Lightyear. You have attacked me once again. Zerg will win eventually. (laughs) So, Gundam 00, we have to remember what's going on. Uh, We have four fuckboys. There are too many people. But only two of them are in this episode. Setsuna F. Seye, a boy who wants to be a Gundam when he grows up. (laughs) And Lock-On, a man who is a Gundam. The sane leader of the Gundam Meisters. Who I have been told repeatedly is maybe not the most sane, but honestly, he seems pretty well put together. Well, I mean, most of them do until they aren't. Yeah, no, that's fair. And Lock-On just hasn't had his moment of insanity yet. He just really dislikes terrorists. And don't we all? There's also Graham Aker. He is from the Union, one of three nations who still exist. He is the leader of the Flag Fighters, which include his friends Daryl Dodge and Howard Mason. (laughs) Also, his friend Billy Kataragi, his tech advisor, is there. Daniel Eifman is also there, but he's not in these episodes. Old man Danny. There's also Marina Ishmael and her sidekick mentor friend, Kieran Backfear. I feel like she's a governess, perhaps. I thought it was an S. I thought it was Sheeran. Am I... Th- what did I say? Did I say Kieran? Yes. Back there? I believe you're right. I believe it's Sheeran back there. There's also Chun-Li, whose name <laughs> may be one to get one day, and her brother. Also, Alejandro Corner and Ribbons Allmark. Alejandro is a guy from the United Nations who came to Azedistan, the country that Marina is princess of, to build some solar panels. And everyone's They're very rad. suspicious of his motives for building solar panels. Wouldn't you be? Like, he showed up and was like, I'm here to help. He's- and you're like, we've been asking everybody around for help, but what are you doing here? What do you get out of helping us? Uh, he gets sweet solar panel dividends. He's trying to corner the market. Tie a nice ribbon around it. Yep. Also, we have Luis, Luis's mom, 
and <laughs> Saji. Does Luis's mom have a name? Luis's mom. Luis's mom. <laughs> Okasan. <laughs> also, Saji's sister, Kinue, who is working on a book report for her job at newspaper on Shenberg, the doctor who started Celestial Being. Aeolia Shenberg? Yeah, Aeolia Shenberg. A nice Aeolia Shenberg. <laughs> I, I assume that has some vinegar or maybe some kraut or I, something. The only reason why I'm asking is because I could have sworn I heard you call him Alejandro Shenberg. That's fine. It'll fix in editing, maybe. Is that everybody? Did I forget somebody? Probably. There are too many characters. Yeah, you forgot Alia Sanchez. Oh, yeah. No one cares about him. He's a jerk. He's a mean one. Mr. Sanchez. <laughs> His really, beard do you think his, grew three times it, as long. Is his first name actually Alia? Oh, I, I think it's Ali Al Sanchez. All the time. <laughs> Al Sanchez, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we're supposed to think he's from or how names work in this. Um, Honestly, I've just been assuming he's Russian for some reason. I guess all the Americans have very American names. Belly, Graham is not really an American name, but could definitely be in 200 years again. I guess you're right. I just don't like people named Graham. I'm racist (laughs) against them. Uh, Daryl is not super American either, I suppose, but is in the lexicon. Howard sounds like he came from Texas. Yeah, yeah, that's Tony's dad. Uh, Danny, for sure. Billy, though, is also, he has a Japanese last name, so. Yeah, but they're also, like, I could see him being a hybrid too. Yeah, like, he, you I mean, plug him in, you don't need gas. <laughs> <laughs> they're from the Union, you know, Eagle Union. They they just cover all of those. Yeah, so... the Union is mostly America and Japan, as we know. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> America, Canada, Australia, probably but mostly America and Japan, the important countries. Or by this point in time, America, the United States, has just conquered. Canada, so they are no longer just America's hat. <laughs> or maybe that's her actual name now. All right. Anything else we want to say, or shall we just get into it? Uh, I mean, this one is, in my opinion, it's an okay follow-up to the last couple of them. Last one, we had a nice focus on to Alleluia, and this one is going back into kind of expanding the world state again, as opposed to just the other one where it's like, Hey, look, Alalia is conquering one of his demons. It is another two-parter, like the Human Reform League Gundam capture operation episodes. So I feel like it really slows down after that singular episode we had last week. Although, because we're recording both of these back-to-back tonight, and we had to watch both of them, that definitely made this one grow in my head. I think this is a pretty good two-part story. I liked it pretty well. It's a lot less action-packed than the previous one. The the previous two-parter, I mean. Yeah, I was going to say the last episode, while it did have murdering a building, was not super action either. <laughs> so again, we are watching Gundam 00, episode 12, To the Limits of Holy Teaching. You can watch along if you like on Crunchyroll or Hulu. We start off with a sermon in a mosque in Azedistan. I feel like there are usually more people in those. Okay, it's not really a sermon. It's some people complaining to their leader, hey, shouldn't we be murdering all these guys in the name of God? Yeah, all you, all you got to do is tell us to murder everybody, dude, and we'll do it. And he's like, calm down. The princess and the reformants will face the wrath of God. We just have to wait until God shows up to kick their asses. In the form of a Gundam. But they're like, hey, how long do you intend to say such things? At this rate, we're going to end up just like Krugis. We have to be the sword of God. We have to be active. It feels kind of like somebody was like looking up a uh, like just a book of sayings of... What terrorists and the like say to justify their behavior, and then we're like, all right, let's insert all of these here. Just hit a bullet point. I mean, yeah, because they, they, they hit infidels, uh, God's wrath. It doesn't feel to me like they looked up a bunch of things terrorists say. It seems more like they looked up a bunch of viewpoints on religion. Because you have the people who are like, hey, we just have to wait and God will sort it out. And the people are like, no, God, you know, the old story about, hey, I sent you the boat and I sent you the car and i sent you everything and you didn't take any of them yeah it was just what those guys specifically were saying but this is intercut with scenes of a bunch of trucks driving up to the meeting hall is it actually a mosque it it does describe it as a mosque is it okay the the, the subtitle says so the the location title says so and this guy's name is rasa and they're like rasa come on give the order when there's a gunshot and like what was that could it be the reformists have they come for us But but no it's bandits Oh no, a random encounter happened at us. <laughs> we weren't and even none of traveling. Us were ready for this. They were in the middle of their short rest. I think they were in the middle of a long rest here. 
Rasa asks, hey, don't you know where this is? And they grin. And that leads to our opening sequence. You know, it's actually better, in my opinion, than most of the cold opens we've gotten so far, because it's actually freaking relevant. And it, it does some, like, scene setting, introduces us to the character that kind of matters. We don't actually get to see a lot of Rasa. We get a little bit of, like, why he's important. Actually, I think we get most of why he's important in this episode. Yeah. I think a lot of it's next episode, though they kind of blend together, because like I said, they're one story, and we are recording both of those tonight. I do think it's, uh, we we do get exactly why he's important, because we get a lot of the flashback in this episode. Yeah. But that is the difficult part about recording two-parters back-to-back, as they do tend to blend together a little bit. Do you think Marina owns a yacht? No, because- I was going to say she's in a landlocked country. We're about to find out that's not true. Like one scene from now. <laughs> I was just wondering about Marina's Marina. <laughs> <laughs> but we know now that the that that country is now more poor, and especially with the way her character has been presented so far, I feel like if she had a lot of excess wealth that could be generated to yacht, she would probably put it towards people. Yeah, given her personality, I was going to say that she is. She was kind of elected to president by being pop idol, though, so... <laughs> I feel like she was more of, oh, you're related to a distant past royalty, so you're going to be this now. I don't even think she was pop idol. She just happened to be there. Like, I don't oh, think you are it's a Macross situation. <laughs> you are an attractive young woman, so, uh... And you're intelligent enough. You are now going to be the leader of our country. Congratulations. Because they do specifically mention that it was the parliament that chose her at some point. Not that she was elected by the people. So once the opening sequence is over, we get some narration about what happened to the Middle East in the last 300 years, mostly now that oil has less value, and also a bunch of tariffs were put on exporting it. They all became very poor, even compared to where they were before. Which is a nice little bit of world building, and it does explain why they're in the situation they're in. But Azetistan, we're about to find out, is basically Iraq-Iran, which, not to say that they haven't been wealthy, but it feels like this should affect Saudi Arabia a lot more than those countries, which already had a lot of problems in 2007. We find out that the Middle East actually attacked everybody, and that was the first solar power war we heard about. Presumably over the dropping prices of oil. I assume over tariffs, but... Yeah. So apparently many countries, you know, dissolved and, like, unified together multiple times over this. Which is how we get Azetistan and how we got Krugis. And they talk about how, due to the different interpretations of the religion, which is almost certainly Islam, there are two major political denominations in Azetistan. The reformist, which Marina Ishmael is part of, and the... The conservatives. They're just called the conservatives. Yeah, my brain kept saying nationalists. I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of what, like, I'm like, it can't be conservatives. Like, it's got to be something else. But no, it, it is just conservatives. Who are like, get off our lawn with your princesses and your solar power. It is important <laughs> to note that while you're right, Jeremy, I think you're right, it is almost certainly Islam. They never specifically mention it. So, Sheeran shows up to say, hey. Bad news, Rasa got captured, and he's the leader of the conservatives, as you know. Also, we do get his name right before this. It is Masood Rahmadi. Masood might be a title, actually. I'm, I'm not sure. And we're being blamed for it. And in fact, we can't rule out that it might be some reformist extremist who actually did capture him. And it turns out asking the UN to come here was a bad idea all around. And she comes back, but the assembly approved it. I'm like, so? And she's like, yeah, but the people didn't all universally approve it. The Assembly has decided to employ the uh, National Guard to keep the peace, which is not great. Basically, Sharon is like, hey, if he gets martyred, that's going to be real bad for us. And Marina's like, don't say such awful things. And she's like, you must think of these awful things to avoid the worst case scenario. And she should be like, I'm a figurehead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do feel like it's not wrong. You do kind of need to think about the worst case scenario and plan for the worst case scenario. But... How much real power do we think that Marina actually has here? She definitely has some ambassadorial power, right? Because she was able to invite the UN in and allow them in. But I don't know how much domestic power she has. She doesn't seem to be in control of the army in any way. Well, she also said that the National Assembly approved it. So it might not even necessarily be that she was able to, like, let them in. She offered it using the power that was given to her by that assembly, and then basically petitioned the assembly to. 
So, I, I, I assume mean, the geez. National Assembly was the UN National Assembly. I was assuming it was Azetistan's assembly. So is I. Because, because she, then they refer to the assembly right after that has deployed peacekeeping forces. I, again, assume that was the UN peacekeeping forces protecting their assets. I don't think so, because last week we had the bit where Corner was like, you have to protect our assets or we'll have to pull out. That's a good point. So anyway, Marina's like, the worst possibility, civil war. Yeah, I didn't like the movie either. <laughs> <laughs> Then we cut to the return of our favorite, handwritten signs, as an angry mob. <laughs> there was a dude throwing a rock, and then right behind him, and like just out, just out of focus, was his twin. We see the mob is angrily burning these nice PR posters of Marina. That, which is why I think she's a pop idol princess. <laughs> pop idol princess sounds like a great something, but I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no, that's a Zelda boss. You know, like Rakshalata, pop idol princess. Did you ever play... Uh... Cadence of Hyrule? No, I own it, but I never played it. There are some amazing boss names in that. That are I, I feel like Pop Idol Princess would not be out of place in that game. I totally had like an image of like a Super Robot Wars type of game where all of the like princess characters from Gundam are all like hanging out together and Marina's complaining about this and Lacus is like, oh that's fine. You just need to get yourself a Gundam. You just <laughs> need to a build boyfriend. a factory. <laughs> Get your factory, you build some Gundams for your boyfriends, and they take care of it. <laughs> you build a Gundam for your boyfriend and your boyfriend's boyfriend, <laughs> and they'll deal with the problem. This is my boyfriend, Kira, and Kira's boyfriend, Athrin. Yeah. <laughs> and Athrin's girlfriend, Kigali. Who is also Kira's sister. And Athrin's girlfriend, Marin. <laughs> Cut the Union airspace, where the pink mobile, <laughs> Chun-Li's pink jet, is heading towards Azedistan, and she's talking to her brother about how the Ptolemaeus is still out in the range four, which is where the colony from the last episode was. So do you think this is taking place right around the same time or is this after that action? I think slightly after. I think they just turned around. Because yeah, I guess he did say they will it'll take some time for them to return from the range four. Yeah. And so Chenley's like, well, we'll just have to use the Gundam boys we have on hand. But she gets a call from Corner. Who is like, hey, your Gundams can totally do something about these street riots, right? Actually, she says that uh, he should leave. And he's like, no, I want to stay and watch. I like to watch. That's what I told your brother. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, That's ribbons. what Ribbons told your brother. I love Ribbons holding the phone. The video. It is a video phone, too. It looks like he's like holding it so she can see the riots. <laughs> we cut back to JNN, where Kiyunue is working on her book report. I just noticed some of the names she has scrolling up there. Beatrice uh, Eigen. Uh, Corona Payne. <laughs> <laughs> Dieter LeBron. Uh, LeBron changed his name. After, and <laughs> this is his great-great-grandson. Dieter LeBron. <laughs> and like, yeah, about 138 people with doctorates have disappeared in the last 200 years. And she's like, cool, can you narrow it down to people who have disappeared recently? And her assistant is like, yeah, Kohai, I think is what we decided his name was. But newsflash, the religious leader of Azedistan has been kidnapped. And... J. Jonah Jameson is like, is that a stan? We sent somebody to take pictures of Spider-Man there. Get him <laughs> on the, this right now. It does make a lot of sense. Like, I, Although he does say, like, contact that guy and have him make a report on it. And it's like, do you really think this guy knows any more than you do at this point? Sure, he was taking pictures of Spider-Man. I mean, you have an embedded reporter. You send him to investigate. I don't think it's like immediately we're cutting to him and he's going to tell us. <laughs> I assume he, to him and he's like, uh, He's just like, got, a, got a sandwich handed out of his mouth. <laughs> a kebab, thank you. That's true, with yogurt sauce or curry? He's not Andrew Walfeld, so curry. <laughs> so we, we cut to ah. Saji and them getting a pizza. Well, Saji has brought the pizza for Louise's mom. And she's like, oh, that's sweet. You didn't have to go to the trouble. And we see he is in a pizza uniform. So... I so love this how is the start you, of Louise's favorite porn. Th this is <laughs> th this is Pavlok's pizza. I mean, look at his look pizza. at his hat. It looks more like the pee whistle from Mario Three to me. But yes, and Louise is like, "See, I told you, my mom likes to get things." And he's like, "It's just a pizza." And she's like, "Young man, your clothing." And he's like, "Oh yeah, this is my part time job." And Luis is like, oh, it's awful, Mom. <laughs> Sashi's parents passed away when he was little, so he lives with his older sister and has to work part-time. Can you believe it? He's not rich like us and uh, independently wealthy. He has to work, like, four hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> While also working at high school. Or did, have we established that we think they're in high school or college? Yes. Yeah, they're in some sort of... They're in high college. Got yeah. It. <laughs> they're in Japanese high school, which is college. 
So, so this apparently tugs at Luis's mom's heartstrings. She's like, oh, you're poor boy. You're so brave. <laughs> Having a part-time job. Luis's like, yeah, my mom cries. <laughs> I love something. smug Louise here. <laughs> and she just pops in and out of frame. <laughs> it is, it's such a small, like, non-animated thing because she's just sliding around. But I kind of love it. Like, it's such some, a small, simple thing there. So Luis's mom is like, young man, now that I look more closely, you do have some masculine features. You remind me of my late husband. <laughs> and Luis is like, no, he doesn't. Also, <laughs> I love how Luis then turns it, like starts getting possessive here. Also, dad's still alive. <laughs> See, you know Luis is rich because she has two living parents. That's two more than I think any other character <laughs> in this show. If wow. you count Soma's dad, um, adopted dad, uh, Smirnov, <laughs> then she's got one. We don't know if Sumeragi's parents are dead. That's a good point. We also don't know if they're alive. You can't prove I don't have a bagel. <laughs> we know Felt's parents are dead. We know Lockon's parents are dead. Alleluia's parents might be alive somewhere, but he doesn't know about them. We so know he doesn't th- have them. We know Seth's and his parents are... Well, actually, we don't know if they're dead, but... We know they're l- Likely good. He's estranged from them at, at any rate due to civil war in 10 years. We, we know that he killed someone who was his caretaker, but we don't necessarily know that they were his parents. You know what? I bet Grandmaker's parents are alive. I bet they have a nice house in, like, Nebraska. They're probably Montana, retired. Probably. They I go was, geocaching. I was going to say Tiaria's parents are actually so alive, they're just, like, super harsh on him, which is why he's a perfectionist. <laughs> he receives calls about why he hasn't uh, gotten his doctorate yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know you're a Gundam pilot, but why aren't you piloting two Gundams? I am. Why aren't you piloting three Gundams, then? Why haven't you turned A yet? <laughs> why aren't you the leader of the Gundam pilots? Cut back to Azetistan's royal palace, where Marina is staring pensively out the window. Thinking about that time that Rasa decided that he was no longer going to be her political ally. She says she decided to take the position of the nation's princess royal, which throws into the other side where she said the National Assembly selected her. Maybe they petitioned her and asked her for yeah, to do it. I assume they offered her the position. I assume she submitted an application and provided her work experience. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a princess when I grow up. I want to be a Gundam when I grow up. See, if you work hard enough, children, your dreams will come true. <laughs> I assume that this is a new position, but it was not previously occupied, and the assembly said, hey, do you want to do this? And she has said, I, I decided that, yes, I am going to. That's how I take the scene. And she does say that she's just, uh, that it, it will just be a symbol, although I guess that would be a pretty good spot to be in. I mean, all you're, you're just a figurehead, you're not actually required to do anything. Yeah, but unfortunately her character is such that she would like to do something, which makes it kind of a bad position for her. I do think she has some power. I think we're supposed to think it's similar to, like, the Queen of Britain, where, like, you're not actively involved in government, but you do have a lot of power, especially with foreign dignitaries. Although I feel like a lot of the Queen's power comes from just the respect people owe to the fact that that woman is immortal, (laughs) and uh, the fact, like, just, she is the Queen, and so she's the figurehead that everybody looks to. This is going to come out and be really awkward when, when, <laughs> when we kill Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> so she gives the old classic of, if I can do something, I must. Mula Flaga told Kira Yamato, if you can do something, you should. And he's like, I see. Then I'll have no choice but to take the opposing position. And she's like, but why? And he's like, well, some people here are old men who want you to get off their lawn. And I also <laughs> hate change. There are a lot of people who are dicks, too. Uh, especially religious people. They love history. They have, even if we have a new nation, there are people living in this land that have a history and families and God's teachings. Uh, and I also hate change and want you to get off my lawn, kids. So I will go be in charge of them because I, while I want you to get off my lawn, I do not want to murder you. <laughs> I do like his reasoning here because it, like, it is actually a good reason as to why this guy, who is clearly her friend, based on these preliminary things we get here or at least someone that she respects saying yeah i i'll i'll be against you because that way we can minimize damage it seems like collusion a little bit which i don't think is supposed to be the intent because i think him saying yeah i'm also like that is him saying hey that is legitimately my belief but also like i do support you i again wish we got more of marina i'm more of why she took this position more of how she got into it and more of what she's done here. What is her relationship with him prior to this? Because this feels like them breaking up makes it sound romantic, but going their separate ways, committing to that. And what were they before that they are now separating? And how yeah, did they it, get here? It, it is a very... We're, we're not given a whole lot of information. I did read it as, like, 
he was a mentor to her and is like, okay, I'll be on this other side. Because on the one hand, I do think the same way. I want us to get, you know, moving forward, but I also struggle with change. So I'll go over there and I'll prevent them from burning the place down. I will get off your lawn (laughs) and keep them off yours. I think that's a perfectly valid read, but I wish we got more detail. I do feel like we needed a little bit more detail. But I think it is partly because we haven't gotten a lot of Marina in the... Like, we didn't get any Marina for, like, the first five episodes. And like I said before, most of what we've seen Marina do is fail to get anybody's attention. Also, she wonders if everything she's done until now has been a terrible mistake. Again, if we'd seen more of her, this would have more pathos. Everything I've done until now, I didn't order that pizza. So Sheeran walks in, and Marina asks if the Assembly is likely to listen to her. And she says, well, it's not really an option right now. They're currently not talking to each other. The conservatives are currently boycotting the assembly. And the reformists were secretly approached by the union and have decided to accept their military aid. Well, they they are discussing the idea of taking military aid from Eagle Union. We will find out shortly that they do. They need those pulse. And Marina's like, why would the union get involved? They don't have a reason to protect us. I I think the the way Sheeran says, I'm sure they have the reasons. I think Sharon has figured out that they realize that it is likely to come to Gundams and the Union wants to steal a Gundam. So... I like how it's likely to come to Gundams. <laughs> I say a good man, you should take back that insult or we will be forced to engage in Gundams. Adon! <laughs> Cut to Howard Mason on a video screen being like, hey, we're finally going to be able to fight Gundams, Graham Aker. And Daryl Dodge is like, could you please exposit to me why we are in Azedistan, smarter people than me? <laughs> so the way this looks is like, I know this probably isn't what they intended, but I kind of look at this and go, why exactly are Howard Mason and Daryl Dodge sitting next to each other, but on two different screens? <laughs> I would really like that, actually. <laughs> They're in the same conference room. <laughs> you can see a little bit over the side. You can see their, the back of the other one's head. Cut to the desert in Azetistan, where the pink <laughs> the, princess has landed. The desert region in the kingdom of Azetistan, which doesn't that kind of just mean it's not in the city of, Ad- of Azetistan? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like Sonic the Hedgehog. There are two zones. There's city zone and desert zone <laughs> in Azetistan. So Chun-Li's brother is like, yo, you guys actually wait until Civil War breaks out before you do anything. And here you can camp out in the room. No, uh... We, they say we got you rooms. Uh, Haro starts yelling, hotel, hotel, like he's giving sniper coordinates. <laughs> so she's like, in order to prevent civil war, we have to rescue the religious leader. We have to capture Masud Rahmati from the people who have kidnapped him. And then release him like he has died in our Nuzlocke run. <laughs> really quick, can I just point out how much better her outfit is than that one terrible one? She could literally like put on just a bra and it would be better. Although, I mean, that, her, that sounded more sexual than I want. I was going to say a clown outfit. The, so Chen Li's brother is like, the problem is this country despises outsiders. And Setson is like, well, then I'll go see what I can do. I'm from here. I'm from this country. And they're all surprised, which, I mean, it is a little bit of a coincidence. But given the way his skin looks, it's there aren't a lot of countries he could be from, right? I don't feel they're like, all in this area. I don't feel like Lachan is actually surprised. I think his... It's more of an indicator of he's surprised that Setsuna is admitting that. Yeah, they also don't know things about each other ostensibly, right? Yeah, yes. But it would be like if he looked Japanese and like they went to Japan and he's like, I'm from here. And like, what? And I mean, sure, he could be from Korea or China, but it's not that much of a stretch. Well, especially this is this is the other reason why I think like uh, Lockon had kind of assumed this was he was at least from this region. Because he gives a very kind of flippant, don't get emotional just because your homeland's in danger, as Setsuna leaves. Setsuna's like, I know mom. Lock mom. Lock mom straddle? That's nothing. (laughs) So Setsuna's like walking through this city here and listening to people like discuss the idea. So Setsuna has some flashbacks to that time he was a child soldier. He's not thrilled about it. Too many mass graves for his liking. And he's like, man, do these people really want another war? They just had one. It sucked. But he notices a lot of people giving him the sink eye. But then a child merchant, a urchin, is that what we call them? He's I like, believe so. He looks too clean and not enough. I was going to say T.S. Eliot, but Charles Dickens. He doesn't look <laughs> Dickensian enough to be an urchin. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently a water seller. He's like, hey, mister, you need some water? He's like, no, nah, I got water. He's like, hey, is this your first time here? And he's like, I've been traveling the world. 
And he's like, oh, oh, I heard from the chief that there are giant elevators that take you to space. Is that true? And he's like, yippers. <laughs> yep, I've even been there. And he's like, that is so cool. Princess Marina said one day we could go to space, too, if we were good and ate our vegetables. <laughs> Do you know her? Look at these posters. They, they slather them all, all over the place. And Setsuna's like, oh, yeah. I was going to threaten to kill her, but that seemed like a real hero Yui thing to do. So I <laughs> that, seemed a, that seemed a little churlish. So I uh, decided to go with a side threat of we will show up to your country. <laughs> seemed more effective. I feel like she would probably martyr herself if she thought it would work well. But threatening her country, that's how you get her. <laughs> oh, but then the kid's grandpa shows up. It's like, hey, you're from Krugis, aren't you? I can tell just by, by my racism radar is going on. <laughs> it's old you grandpa can- racist. Get out of here, kid. You don't belong here. And he's like, cool, leaving. Which implies this is why everyone else has given him the stink eye. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was obvious, but I guess it's maybe not. I mean, might not be to some people. And this also shows that this is a thing older people have an opinion of, but this kid is clearly just yeah, completely naive. He was probably born after Krugis fell, right? Yep. Or if he wasn't born after Krugis fell, he wasn't old enough to actually understand what was going on. Because I think they said it was only six years ago, so... I would assume that kid's around 10, so he'd have been like four. I mean, he could easily read a six to me. Again, he's not very Dickensian, so it's hard to tell. (laughs) He's an anime child. He's ageless. Yeah, he's between four and 17. (laughs) So we cut to a Call of Duty level where they are keeping the religious leader, their guns. He's like, ah, I must somehow escape this place or this nation will fall into chaos yet again. And we see the boss of this level of Call of Duty is one Ali al Gasp. Surprise. Oh, no. It's the guy that we haven't seen in a really long time. It hasn't been that long. He's definitely the Char who's shown up least recently. It's at least three episodes that he hasn't even made an appearance. I mean, Actually, you're right, but I feel like it's been longer since we got any time with Graham. We're both in this episode. The thing is, Graham has been constantly making like cameo appearances in episodes. This is the first time we've actually seen Aliasaches since the uh, battle at the PMC Nation. Speaking of that battle, where's Patrick Collisar? I want more of him. He's not important enough to make, you know, regular appearances. Okay. He opens a fighting arena later. It's the Collisarium. Not bad. <laughs> like I said, I don't think it's actually true that Patrick Collisar is in more episodes of Build Fighters than he is of Gundam 00. But if you count Bill Fighters Rerise, it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, we already know that he was in all 26 episodes of Divers, and so far that he's holding steady. He's yeah. only been in like three episodes of Double Ot. So Sanchez pours one out for his homies. <laughs> and we cut to the solar power receiver antenna facility, where a bunch of amps, our favorite dumb mobile suits, are just chilling. Well, I think it's also important to note that Sanchez was saying, you know, which side is God going to choose this time? Either way, we're going to have a war. Like, clearly he's got something planned. The war that Masud Rahmadi is afraid is going to start, he's just going to start. Yeah, that's his That's his like, goal. His plan or... is to start this war. What's his end game here? Does he just want to make money doing mercenary money. stuff? He's war. a mercenary. What is it good for making lots of money? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a mercenary. He only makes money if he's able to fight in war or get someone to pay him ostensibly to fight in a war. Although I do think it's worth interrogating his motivations a little bit, because is he going for a short-term payday of somebody has paid him to do this, or is he continuing to try to lure out the Gundams like the Union are for that big payday he was promised? Because of his attitude later on, I don't think his goal is to lure out the Gundams. I think his goal here is actually to start a more long-term conflict here in this nation that he can then basically use to maybe play both sides to make profit. This is his retirement plan. Yes, like I think that's the (laughs) idea here, is that he knows that he can get both sides to attack each other, start a war, and then bankrupt both sides. You have a 401k? Better, I have a war in the Middle East. (laughs) (laughs) So we see some of the amps turning on some of the other amps, just destroying each other. And they are conservatives, apparently, in them. But the flag fighters are flying overhead and are like, hey, conflict in Area D. We have to head over there. They're attacking the antennas, specifically. And we found out just recently that we accepted Union aid. 
which explains why they're here doing patrols in the first place. Yep. And they're like, sir, they're fighting amongst our st- themselves. We can't tell which side is which. But then their radar starts to be jammed. Only one man could dare give us the jam. Well, four, but the Gundams. <laughs> so out of left field, someone starts taking pot shots at the uh, amps. Well, beam pot shots specifically, which is... Graham Aker points out, can only be a Gundam. I like that we get a close-up on Lock-On in his cockpit after he's hit these shots, and he looks like he just like won a slot machine or something. <laughs> well, look, if you didn't notice, his Haro is complimenting him. That never happens. <laughs> he's not, no, the Haro isn't complimenting him, it's just noting a fact. That's as close as he's going to get. <laughs> yeah. And so, apparently Lock-On has been staking the Area D antenna out. But then Aliel Sanchez with the RKO out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and by the RKO, I mean the really kill. He launches a bunch missiles. of missiles. <laughs> the really kill a missiles. The really kill a missiles. <laughs> because he shoots a missile that likes missiles, bro, and shoots a bunch of cluster rockets down below. And Lockon is like, well, shit, that's too many for me to shoot down as he tries, but fails. Apparently does a decent job of getting a bunch of them, but they're like in the hundreds. Of these little bomblets, which is kind of the point of a cluster bomb. And then we see them hit the solar array facility antenna receiver. And get to thing. our lack of eye catch. <laughs> yes, it's a very bright, explosion-y lack of eye catch. It is very eye-catching. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to episode 12 of Gundam 00 with us. Uh, apologies for the late episode uh, between holidays and an all-day recording session yesterday for Journey to Jabara, which I'm very excited about. Uh, it's been kind of busy. Uh, I don't think I'm going to plug anything in particular um, other than saying, hey, thanks for helping us get our Patreon over $50 a month so that we had an excuse to record that Journey to Jabaro thing. 2021 has been a complicated year. Um, it's been tough for a lot of people, I know. Um, but for the podcast, it's actually been a very good year. And I appreciate all your support. Uh, I think this is the last episode of the year. So, Happy New Year. And I will see you all with my all-seen audio-based eyeballs in 2022. Thanks for listening. We cut back to the palace where Marina's like, who would do such a thing as bomb our antenna building facility? And then he's like, oh yeah, apparently uh, some of our pilots were not vetted properly and uh, they were super conservative extremists. So Sharon's like, it's almost like they anticipated his kidnapping. Cut the Graham Acre looking at a giant explosion, being like, hey, Daryl Howard, find whoever shot those missiles. I will fight Gundam. I'm going to go after the Gundam. I honestly thought the, the missile attack came while the two of them were fighting. No, it's earlier. <laughs> and Lockout's like, come on, I thought you were here to protect Azedistan, not fight me. God damn it. So he's like, well, I guess they are after us. And proceeds to uh, try to take out Graham, but uh, Graham's hyperspeed mobile suit is able to... Uh, Apparently lists lazily to the left, <laughs> and it is the Graham special. Well, to be fair, the Graham special is apparently transforming to dodge a shot, because that is what he does here. I actually really like the anime. It looks like he's undergoing a lot of strain, um, which, to be fair, is something that Dr. Eifman warned him about with this modification. Yeah, Danny did warn him about that. Yeah, the G-forces. I love how we see the sweat in his helmet like go up as he maneuvers down. It's a very cool touch. I love how Lock-On has the Haro, like, handle defense as he's doing that, because we've seen him do that before, but he, while he tells the Haro to give him defense, he's getting his helmet out, because he wasn't wearing it. So Lock-On declares, you're not going to dodge me again, but Graham is like, I'll try spinning. That's a neat trick. <laughs> and dodges yet again. Lock-On's like, oh no, it's like this is a named pilot. And Graham, to no one, says, allow me to introduce myself. I am Graham Aker. <laughs> And then he does the shark kick to Lock-On. And Lock-On is like, he kicked me? What a <laughs> What the hell? He just kicked me? That's not cool. Also, something Soma Pierce did, which is how you can tell they're both Shars. Apparently, <laughs> the Gundams have one distinct vulnerability, and that is to being kicked. I think it's more kicking someone in Gundam is shorthand for very talented, because Kira would also kick people all the time. This does remind me uh, if Soma's also a Shar. I just want to, like, put a montage together of too many shars, and it's just, like, a bunch of shars in a kitchen together, preferably cooking gumbo or something. <laughs> would be really funny to me. We'd start off with just char, and then you would start adding more and more of the char clones. 
And at the end of it, it's just Char and definitely not Char Quattro Regina giving him a high five, and that's how the montage ends. <laughs> uh, it's not with them killing Garma? <laughs> Rude. So Graham pulls out his vibro sword, but Lock-On is like, oh, he made me use my sword, and pulls out a beam saber. Just last episode, Tyler, a thousand years ago, you were asking, does the Dynamis have any melee weapons? And the answer is yes, but Lock-On doesn't want to use them. I feel it's also kind of a situation where Lock-On is not particularly good with the beam saber. I'm not sure any of the Gundam pilots are, honestly. Setson is good at skating. Setson is good at skating. I feel like he routinely gets his ass kicked by less advanced mobile suits. Well, I think that's also been kind of the point, is that yeah. the Gundam pilots aren't necessarily super talented or anything like that. So they have been matched by people in worse tech, but better pilots. Yeah. So Graham's like, oh, man, you even got a sword? That's some tight defenses, Gundam. <laughs> I love it. Like, you've got some tight defenses, and so Lock-On pulls a handgun. <laughs> yeah, he pulls out a pistol, and he's like, CQC, I learned this one from Naked Snake. <laughs> and Graham is like, wait a minute, he's got a pistol? That's not cool. So he uses the, like, rotary weird shield that the flags that enacts have to block all the blasts, which is a very, very cool shot, even though this shield seems way less useful than just like a block of steel yep. to be fair way lighter so way better if you want to have a flying mobile suit yeah but at the same time like i don't know how that would even really work because it's got to have transit time and that's a beam weapon like, i assume it's an ai that's powering it so it's probably processing it way would, faster than a human but it would still have a transit time to spin and it's a beam weapon well so beams, beams, aren't beams are not lasers yeah that is very okay. explicit yeah, beams do not travel at light speed, even though it really seems like they should. They're super condensed particles. So there's some very cool battle damage on Graham's flag from the beam melting his little shield. But Although what Lockon says about how he blocked him, it does kind of imply that it's not an AI. Well, I think it's more that he is not used to being blocked by this or did not think it was possible. But yeah, I think there has to have been some manual control. I actually want the, like, pilot control for that to just be a fidget spinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, one of the dumbest things I love is Suzaki's, like, trackball in his night frame. <laughs> I think that's so cool, even though it's so dumb. So, Lockin's like, God, this guy won't stop coming. Full power to weapons, Haro. Stop giving me the uh, gen dispersal, or the, like, jam uh, suit jamming or comms jamming and give me full gun power. But before Lockin can take another shot, Graham gets a message saying that mobile suits have been spotted leaving one of the Azetistan bases without orders, and all units are ordered to intercept them. And so then it, it causes, like, a standoff, and apparently Lock-On also got this information, he got this radio transmission. I assume he just intercepted it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's more of what I was thinking. But, like, they, they engage in, like, a standoff between each other. Because Graham wants to disengage and go follow orders, well, but also Graham not. Graham doesn't want to disengage because he has this Gundam here. But at the same time, he has to follow orders. We cut to Marina, who has also found out that mobile suits have left without orders and are attempting a coup d'etat. There are only five mobile suits, or there are five whole mobile suits. I'm not sure which. <laughs> the, way is, the way this uh, series has presented it so far, I think it's supposed to be there are five whole mobile suits. The fact that they have stolen five of them, especially for a relatively minor power in uh, Azetistan here, that's probably a pretty significant mar uh, amount from what it they have remaining. The important part is they're heading straight for us. Yeah, yeah. Five tanks heading straight for you is bad <laughs> in the modern times. Like t five tanks rolling through a city without orders would be very bad. So I don't think this is like a minor thing by any stretch. That's not what I meant. I was more wondering what percentage of the Azedistan forces this is. Because it can't be a huge one. Because so far we've seen six. And then if I remember right, there's another... There are at least four guarding four. the power palace later. So that would be 10, and then these guys would make 15. So depending on how many of them, I would imagine there's more than that. No, they have exactly 15 mobile well, suits. Like, but even if that is, is this a quarter of their forces? Because that's pretty huge. Anyway, Marina is given the order to go to a shelter. It is uh, kind of lacking in information. Or it's just a matter of the, this is a significant amount of their forces that are present in this area. These are not details I think the show is derelict not to give us. They are just questions I have. Obviously, five mobile suits is bad, and that's all the show cares that we know. Especially because they are here. Yep. Lots of talk about destroying the infidels with these cool mobile suits. They have a few of their own to try to intercept, but seemingly not enough. 
and they uh, a building gets blown down. And Ribbons is like, hey, hey, Mr. Corner, shouldn't we leave? And he's like, you should watch this, Ribbons. You like to watch. And a Gundam <laughs> will be coming soon. Cut to the Exia, airdropping in. It's the same way it uh, appeared in the first episode. Yep. Cut back to Lock-On in his standoff with Graham, wondering what Mr. Flagpilot is going to do. I love the, the stance that the Dynamis has in this shot. The gunslinger stance? Yeah, the gunslinger stance. Especially because earlier on when we saw like it from above, you could see the rifle was on the ground in front of it. I wonder if the Tequila Gundam Dan Custom took weapons off the Dynamis. <laughs> <laughs> and Graham's like, oh man, after finally reunited with Gundam Senpai, my love, I must leave. But a man has his obligations. And he zooms off. And he calls out to Howard and Daryl that they're going to go after the capital. And ask if they figured out who fired the missiles. And they're like, we saw the silhouette of a mobile suit, but with those particles, we couldn't tell any details. And Graham's like, well, guess Gundams aren't perfect. Well, it kind of implies that uh, Ali was waiting for the Gundam to make an appearance to like start use the dispersal. Yeah, and use it as cover. Which, I mean, we do know from the previous instance of his appearance that Sanchez is fairly intelligent and completely and totally amoral and ruthless, but intelligent. Setsuna starts dancing through mobile suits. They don't get to have limbs around him. <laughs> it does look pretty cool. I love pretty much any action scene with the Exia. Looks great. Yeah, I really didn't like the Exia the first time I saw this because I was comparing it to the Strike, one of my favorite Gundams. But the more I see it in motion, the more I like it. Yeah, like well, I, I it's not like, my favorite design on its own, but it's really fun to watch in action. I feel like on its like thinking about all the mobile suits that I like, most of them like the main character mobile suits, it kind of falls by the wayside in part because of how simple it is, but it is also the best animated of pretty much all of them. It does some sweet dances. Yeah, I mean, it's still not going to beat out the God Gundam for me. That thing is ridiculous in terms of design, but still. So Ribbon's like, ah, oh, cool Gundam. And Corner's like, yeah, but the pilot sucks. He's just relying on how cool his Gundam is. Which is kind of reinforcing what basically every pilot they've met so far has set. So Chun-Li gives Setsuna a call to tell him more mobile suits have been deployed and that he should go deal with them. So he does, having some good PTSD flashbacks on the way as he sees cities burning. Well, and there are, uh, what's it called? There are amps moving through this city. I'm assuming this is probably like one of the same cities or a very similar city to the one that he was obviously fighting in when he was a kid. It's, it's certainly part of the reason he's having flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And we see that there are child soldiers fighting in this city as well. Yep. Which Setsuna hates more than Lock-On hates terrorists. Well, and he sees all these dead bodies and the like on the ground. I feel like somebody needs to tell these guys that cover is their friend. Uh, to be fair, we saw with Setsuna that the ants can punch through any of the cover near here. Although I suppose visual cover is still very helpful. It's certainly better than standing in the middle of a street. Concealment seems more important than the cover, I suppose is what I'm saying. Definitely, but still, it's better than standing in the middle of a street firing a machine gun at it. So anyway, Setsuna, Setsuna gets engages. actually pissed. Yeah, he starts, again, beautifully animated, just taking these things out. With prejudice. The way it is animated is so cool, especially when it is put up against the, those amps. They're also animated distinctly different from Exia. Yeah. But then Setsuna sees a bunch of dead kids and just kind of like stands there for a minute while the amps like just bombard the Exia. Having no effect, of course. So Setsuna goes kind of crazy and we get a cut to black out to Saji and uh, I believe, yeah, Saji and Luis's, Luis's mom, mom. Who is getting very cuddly. <laughs> Louise uh, succeeded too well in getting uh, her mom to like Saji. And she's like, oh, Saji, you're so smart. Where is Azedistan? He's like, the Middle East. And Louise is like, leave room for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> or the Azedistans will come for us. Makes me wonder what she's doing behind the couch. She dropped a penny. She's just back there digging for it. Cut to the Ptolemaeus where Sumeragi is getting a message from Veda telling her what is up in Azedistan. And now the uh, Eagle Union has deployed considerably more forces to the capital. We see a lot of flags here. And Graham is like, oh man, religious devotion sure can suck. Cut to Sanchez, who is like, god damn it, those Gundams have stopped my plan, but I have a backup plan. And then cut to Marina, who's having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> There's a coup d'etat and celestial beings showed up. And now Eagle Union's everywhere. And the hearts of the people have been lit with the flames of anger. Their loud cry tells them to grasp self-government. 
She's like, well, everything I've done has only led us down this road to conflict. It's like, ah, no, actually, you've done a decent enough job. It hasn't been entirely your fault. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think that she's done anything one way or the other, which is maybe the problem. But I don't know that she can. It is somewhat implied that her bringing in the UN agitated the conservatives a lot. And yeah. she's afraid that is a powder keg, so to speak. And the match has just been lit. But Sharon Bakthier is being supportive, which probably makes her feel even weirder and worse. <laughs> telling her not to give up yet because they haven't failed yet. The problem with Sheeran is that she's been inconsistent like the entire time. Like it seems like her motivations and what she's doing change every time she shows up on screen. Like someone is spinning a wheel. It doesn't feel like a wheel to me. It actually here feels like she's that friend who just always gives you shit, but here she realized that Marina actually needs encouragement. So she is being genuine. I don't think that's actually the relationship either. But that's kind of how this reads to me. Sheeran actually feels like an old, like, British nanny-style governess, and uh, Marina is her ward, essentially. Not enough Dickens in this episode, but too much Jane Austen, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> Cut to Lock-On flying over the bombed-out city that Setsuno was fighting in, and Haru's like, hey, it's the Exia. He's just chilling. Look at all those swords he has on the ground. Look at all those destroyed mobile suits around him. Exia. The several swords, Gundam. Well, like, the shield is stuck in the ground, there's multiple swords stuck in the ground. We cut inside the Setsuna, who is also having a bad day, and he's like, oh, I can't become a Gundam. What does that mean to him, I wonder? I feel like being a Gundam to Setsuna means being a savior of some kind. This is getting a little into stuff I know from later in the series, but his life was literally saved by a Gundam in his moment of crisis, and he was a soldier in a religious war. So I think in many ways he rejected God, but kind of replaced the concept in his head with that of a Gundam. And so to him, like a Gundam is a agent of peace, a savior. To him, it is an ideal. So like these robots are Gundams, but also like a person who uses one effectively is a Gundam is how I think he reads it. And that's the end of the episode. So what did we think of this one? Pretty good. I think it's actually a pretty decent setup. Um, we get more characterization of Setsuna. We get to see Lock-On do something, which is pretty cool. We get Lock-On fighting Graham, and we've complained that Shars only want to fight Setsuna, so they seem to have acknowledged that at least. Well, yep. I, yeah, because uh, the last time around we had Soma fighting Tiaria. And also Alleluia, a little bit. Uh, we also get to see Graham do some cool maneuvers that show off that he's a cool pilot. Yeah, and... Our episode on this was kind of long for a setup episode. Usually those go pretty quick, but we seem to have dove into this one quite a bit. Do you have a high point, Tyler? That's a good question. I think it's just going to be Graham doing his like high G maneuvers, I think is animated really well. Um, and it's just a cool action shot. Zach. As weird as it is, I think I have to give my high point to the reintroduction of Alia Sanchez. Because he showed up, seemed like he was going to be important, and then went radio silent for like four episodes. And here, he is actually kickstarting something. He's doing something more than basically every other character we've seen so far. He's at least been an agent like, of change. He is affecting the world around him as like an agent of chaos. What about you, Jeremy? What's your high point? I'm between two. I think one is too similar to Tyler's. So I'm going to go at the end with Setsuna being like, oh, I can't be a Gundam. And that his despair put right next to Marina's, where Marina is powerless and can't do anything. And Setsuna is actively doing things and still failing at what he wants. Tyler, do you have a low point? It's kind of a quibble, but I would have loved more of Marina's relationship with Rasa and like how they even know each other, why, like, how she became princess, like any of the backstory there. Um, and I don't know the way the show is going that the show thinks it's important to tell us that ever. Yeah, that was pretty much mine as well. So I'll have to come up with something else. Likewise. So what is yours, Zach? Well, since Tyler took that one, I think I'm going to go with, there are a couple of shots in this uh, particular episode that kind of looks like they had a little bit of phoning it in, in part because they had a lot of Exia doing stuff, which probably takes a lot of time budget. But like, for instance, when the uh, Dynamis is taking off, it really looks like they kind of cheaped out on that one. Or like uh, when Lu Mei, I'm sorry, Chun Li had that like vacant stare for like yeah, the like the thousand yard yeah. stare, and and there's a couple of other facial expressions that looks like they really kind of phoned it in on this. Okay, so like I said, Tyler took the one I think is the bigger one. I'm gonna go with Sachez pouring out his booze. 
that's a super minor quibble one, but Sanchez doesn't seem to me like someone who would like <laughs> get rid of something like that. Okay, hear me out. I think he's actually a person who's weirdly into ceremony. I can I feel certainly like he has see a lot that, of rituals. But like that doesn't read as a ritual to me. Like he's not No, it it it, it doesn't it feels very out of place. I'm actually I actually agree with Jeremy. I'm not it feels very out of place for that character. Like if he was visiting a grave or something, it would certainly not be the case. But like he's just lounging in his lounge chair with his booze and then he pours it out. Alternatively, maybe that's meant to signify that he's now taking it seriously. He's like, I don't have time to drink this. I'm uh, okay, maybe. I'm done now. Although, but that moment, like it's not like the Gundams have shown up yet, no, or anything yeah. has changed. That's a good point. Who is it's- your MVP, Tyler? I was considering making it Graham, uh, just because, uh, but but he didn't actually do anything. Um, he I, did I, some cool piloting. He did some cool piloting. He uh, fought with some lock-on. That was fun. Um, I think I'm actually going to give it to Ollie. Okay. I, he did a lot this episode. He set up a cool plan to cause a civil war. So <laughs> good job, Ollie L. Suchez. Zach, who is your MVP? I was actually torn. I think I'm actually going to go with lock-on because of the fact that we got to see lock-on do some more stuff here, as well as like... He seems genuinely concerned for Setsuna going, like, even at the beginning when he says try not, you know, when he tells him to be careful and all that and, you know, don't get too emotional. And then when he shows up later after Setsuna has gotten very emotional, like, he seems genuinely concerned for him. It's cool Uncle Lock-On. He actually cares about his co-pilots. Regardless of his sanity levels, Lock-On is clearly the most emotionally mature person in all of Celestial Being. Maybe Felt is up there, but she's quiet and can't help other people as well. And is not always press present. Yeah. Mine is going to be Graham. He did some cool flips. He he did the Graham special. <laughs> <laughs> he blocked that pistol with his little whirly shield. Come on. We have not ranked a lot of mobile suits, and I think it is time we rank the Anth, since it got a lot of spotlight this episode. I honestly thought we'd already ranked that. Yeah, me too. So did I, but I looked at our list and we have not. It's obviously a piece of shit suit, but it's <laughs> intentionally so. So I thought we would start with some other pieces of shit, like the Leo. I like the Amph more than the Leo. I do, too. I honestly do, too. It has a very, like, heavy, weighty vibe to it that I definitely like. It feels more like a, a Battletech mobile suit than a Gundam one. It's the last mobile suit I'd want to drive, but it has a tremendous amount of character. Um, yeah, because it has that big, like, anti-armor cannon, then it's got its chin gun yeah, for anti Yeah, the super chin gun. How do we think it compares to the flag? I honestly like the design of it more than the flag because it like it does have a lot of that character built into it with the like I said the big armor gun on anti-armor gun on one side the anti-infantry chin gun I love the like heavy weighty mobility that it has it doesn't really have mobility it feels very much just like a walking tank Yeah and I think that's the inspiration for its design they're like supposed to be kind of outdated models and, like, I, I think they are very much basically just walking tanks. Which one would I rather pilot? Definitely a flag. Which one do I like better? I honestly don't know. I kind of want to make you pick, though, because I'm leaning towards the flag. It's also very close for me, but I think the flag of the various grunts we've seen in Double O is my favorite, and I'm including the Anth in that. Even though, like I said, the Anth has a tremendous amount of character, I certainly see where Zach's coming from putting it above it. I like both the Anth and the flag better than the Tyrion. I think I'm going to have to give it to the flag. I think one of the reasons why I prefer the amp is because the flag shares way too much with the Enact, so it doesn't feel unique. They're the, basically the, the same suit. Yeah. Although, also, canonically, the Enact is just a copy of the flag, right? I mean, canonically, that might be yeah. the case, but that doesn't really help it in making it feel unique. Fair. I, I, <laughs> I because we see the Enact first. Yeah, I guess just in my head, you, you are right, we see it first, so I can see where you're coming from. But in my head, that's a knock against the Enact, not a knock against the flag. It's a knock against them both, in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's better than the Taros, though. Yeah. yeah it, it, <laughs> the Taros, I don't think I ever really liked the Taros. So our weird final question, is it better or worse than the Gundam Altron Gian? Our favorite thing to compare stuff to. Uh, <laughs> That's what's his nuts is Tiger Wolf. Um, I like it more than the tire than than that thing. It, it is way too over-designed. The Amph is much more of a simple design, and... I mean, I'm a Battletech fan. I love the, like, heavyweight, chunky mobile suit type of thing going on. They're, like, opposites, but I also prefer the Amph's aesthetic. I also do. Um, I think it's just, especially in Gundam, it's a pretty unique mobile suit design. So the Amph will go at number 79, above the Gundam Eltron Gian, and below the flag. And that will do it for episode 12. Do we have any final thoughts on this one? Solid setup episode, which we got a little bit more Marina characterization. Solid starter. Marina is still kind of on the low side for characterization, yeah. 
We need to get more from her. But we do get some cool sets in a PTSD, so, which is, like, quickly becoming one of my favorite parts of the show, because he's actually kind of an interesting character. They are addressing that, too. They're not just kind of, like, hand-waving over the fact that this child soldier might have some issues. He's clearly in the same vein as Hiro Yui, but I think they learned a lot of lessons from Hiro Yui, and I think he's a much better character in the end. And if that's all we have to say, It's a Gundam will return in Return of the Saint. Hotel! Hotel!